Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear there, all black and brown and covered in hair. I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts on Tumblr, um, also the Lady of Tarth on Twitter, joined with Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho, at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. Guile. Hi, I'm Guile, and I tweet at Door Podcast. Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky, I'm at the Chikrin on Twitter. And our not-so-occasional gent, Devin. Hey, this is Devin, GD Harpo on Twitter. Hi, thanks for joining everybody. Um, today's a little special because we are fulfilling a Patreon request. So we have one of these things floating around on our Patreon that if you do a one-time donation to the podcast of $50, you get to pick the topic that we talk about. Um, so this one is a request from Sadie, and this is all going to be about symbolism, um, particularly symbolism found between Jamie and Brienne. So I think like the most obvious area to go into is, you know, knowing that Jamie and Brand's relationship is based on beauty and the beast tropes is kind of to specifically look at symbolism within beauty and the beast. Um, one of the big kind of discussions, and I think I know where we all settle, but is who is beauty? <laughs> who is the beast? Thoughts? <laughs> Don't we think they're each, each both? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a cop-out answer, but yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I think, you know, you have to, you have to think about it in George terms. And first of all, can I just say this? Cause I'm on podcast and I have a marginally bigger platform than usual. Um, George did not write Jamie and Brienne with the Disney cartoon of beauty and the beast in mind. He definitely has no. based it on like, the original fairy tale, the original, the the original novel, and the original movie from the forties, the the Jean Cocteau. Yeah, like version. The, the original like story is like seventeen hundreds, yeah. like early to yeah. seventeen hundreds, right? Yeah. Is it one maybe of those fairy tales drawing that on? Has a, sorry, I was oh, saying maybe even drawing on even older stories in the creation of that. 1700 version sorry Kyle yeah so those, is this one of those ones where the old fairy tale is like really horrific and has a horrible ending then no it's not so okay, bad good. in comparison to like you know okay yeah no. little mermaid no it's not it's not marginally worse but you know I and the other thing I wanted to say segue segue away from that is George wrote for a TV show called Beauty and the Beast that aired in the 80s mm-hmm. that I personally loved and watched at the time. I don't know about Me the rest too. of you. Me too. No, I did too. I Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea until yeah. I joined this fandom, but yeah, I loved that mm-hmm. show as a child. Yeah, and so he <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and spoil that 30-year-old TV show and tell you that <laughs> The lead actor, who was actually Linda Hamilton, mm-hmm. um, started getting a bunch of really big movie roles, guess when, around the time of Terminator. And so she jumped ship on the show, and she was the beauty, and they had to kill her off. 
And that left a very profound effect on George. And it's like he never got to finish his Beauty and the Beast Mm. story. So he's just been telling it ever since. (laughs) So imagine this, where poor George R. R. Martin has this fairly traumatic TV experience where he doesn't get to finish his Beauty and the Beast story. So he spends like 20 years writing another Beauty and the Beast story, um, succumbs to the temptation to sell it to TV and then has it destroyed in front of his face in the matter of like 10 minutes. And will still never finish it. And he like, right. Yeah. I mean, if that's not motivation though, to like finish your fucking story, I don't know what is. (laughs) Oh God. Well, we should maybe for a moment mention like Jamie and Brienne are not the only beauty and the beast in a song of ice and fire either. He's got about three of them running. Well, who do you think besides Sanda, Sandor and Sansa then and Jamie and Brienne? Like, who else are your Beauty and the Beast um, contenders? I don't. I like, don't. Tyrion and, like, Sansa or something even? Or? I mean, I don't really think so there. I, 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 don't, I don't dispute that there may be elements of Beauty and the Beast, and I mean vague, not really going anywhere elements with Danny and Jorah. But, mm, um yeah. Uh, other Just than that, he's scary. Yeah, it's mostly it's mostly Sansa and Sander and Jamie and Brienne. Yeah. And despite what the Sansa and Shippers would try to tell you, Jamie and Brienne is clearly the bigger Beauty and the Beast story. Well, yeah, since one of them is literally called Brienne the Beauty. <laughs> yes. Yes. And because they both have POV chapters and it's just a way bigger story in the books, their love story. Hmm. I mean, some other things you can pull out, too, from, like, the original story is um, Beauty leaving her father, you know, voluntarily to go with the Beast. Um, You have the Rose, of course. I don't know how to fit it in, though, exactly with the Rose symbolism in the main story of Beauty and the Beast, because roses are very negative in Brienne's world. (laughs) I think that's one of the places where he wanted to play with I, I mean here's the thing like Sansa and Sander is clearly a far more straight up Beauty and the Beast um, send up whereas with Jamie and Brienne he plays with everything he plays with the genders he plays with the conceptions and he plays with some of the symbolism like the rose where in the the story that you know probably he's working from the original fairy tale the rose is Basically, I guess you could say a symbol of the beast looking for love or something like that. And in *Sacrifice <laughs> and Fire*, um, George turns the beast and or the rose into like you know something that um, is a symbol of Brienne basically never having love. Um, I think the rose is mentioned a couple of times. In the first time, like she thinks that Connington gives it to her, but like in the dream, doesn't she think that he throws it at her feet? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Do you think that, you know, I was just thinking a lot about what you said about, you know, the beauty, about the beauty leaving her father. Um, you know, the last things we, the last things we read and dance are, you know, essentially Selwyn in, in a ton of danger. Is that, you know, is there, and I think we always think like, oh, Jamie and Brienne are both going to go north and that's going to happen in winds. But I mean, mm-hmm. could they both be, you know, could could she be heading back to Tarth? You know, is there a sense that she rescues her father, feels like she has to rescue her father? I mean, it's like we're so, I think we've had so much time to, t- to think about these books that we all see, you know, we don't, we're not open up, we're not open to any directions other than the ones that like fandom has collectively decided upon. But, you know, maybe Brian doesn't go north at this point in the story. Right, because she does in The Beauty and the Beast, she 
um, voluntarily, you know, says, I'm going to, she goes back to her father and then voluntarily again comes back to the beast. Yeah. Or if it's Jamie, you know, he, we, you know, Jamie, yeah. if we, if we all assume Jamie needs to get Widow's Whale at some point, you know, he, yeah. he, where does he go to get that? You know, either King's Landing or the Rock, it seems like. Well, in a way, though, kind of the part of the party, the part of the original story where yeah. Beauty goes back to her family and then goes back to the Beast. Beauty goes back to her family and has a dream that the Beast is dying, and that's why she goes back. And in yeah. a way, that's kind of what happened. That's with like the, the weirwood dream. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's in peril, and yeah, in the story. So she, and she feels. I think so. She feels like, oh, I left one. You know, I went back for love of my father, and then I put. You know, ended up putting the beast in peril and she goes back and so Jamie's yeah. the beauty there. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that they're caught, there's just always this, the element of them leaving each other, but then voluntarily coming towards each other mm-hmm. is the, the repetitive. Yeah. Well, just we both see. of them seeing beyond like, you know, Jamie sees beyond Brienne, like physical, well, I mean, actually, it's not even, it's not true. He doesn't see beyond her physical appearance. He's like into her physical appearance. Um, and, you know, she's, but she definitely does see beyond like his beastly exterior, his, his, his beastly attitude, however you want to say it. Like they both are able to get past what the world sees or thinks of the other person to like who the person really is. Yeah. Kind of that concept of perception that they both have to kind of confront. Yeah. And prejudice. So, since we kind of touched on dreams too, I had to look it up, but um, to dream you're naked because we have, of course the, you know, the, the dreamer, he's, he's naked. Um, Brian's naked. And I had to look it up. So like typically dreams of being naked is symbolic of vulnerability, exposure, rejection, humiliation, innocence, and freedom. Also, sexual liberation, God willing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, you know, just the fact that they're dreaming, you know, he has a dream where they're naked and they're essentially in a cave, too. Like, a cave in and of itself is, like, I don't know if you, if we're going to get into that, but just, you know, there's so, there's a lot of symbolism around a cave and, and what that means, too. And I think a lot of that goes into, like, a little bit of a concept of rebirth, too. Well, and then, of course, the water, the rebirth symbolism with the water with them. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole there's like rebirth after rebirth after rebirth here. (laughs) Well, born again and again and again. (laughs) Well, since we're talking about about the water, too, the one thing that I wanted to look up was um, I thought a maiden's pool was something that. Uh, they seem to always have this water (laughs) element, this baptism element, um, you know, the the bath itself, the dream, and then the maiden's pool, which um, I thought so, well, I kind of looked it up just to see like where the tie-in for that is. And of course I can't find my tab. Had something. So make something up. It'll be way better. No, no, here it is. Okay. I got it. So according to the legend, Florin the fool first saw John Quill and his sister bathing in the spread fed pool during the age of heroes. The waters are said to be blessed with healing properties. The town of Maiden's pool is named after the water and centuries ago, house movement built a stone bathhouse around it. Um, da, 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 da. It was for holy women. Um, and when Jaharis the first and Alisane came to visit, 
the holy women object it to their incestual marriage and believe their waters would become polluted if the queen and her unborn abomination were to enter them. <laughs> Just, uh, I don't know, maybe it's a stretch, but kind of like the idea that it's an anti-incestuous vibe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're always down for that. I mean, it seems well appointed uh, historical reference. <laughs> Well, and then when they're there, isn't that where there's like, you know, they're in Maiden Pool and it's literally full of dead bodies when, when they yeah, visit. Yeah, it is polluted. So it's like yeah. literally, yeah. Which, you know, and it's Jamie who, you know, if anyone's going to, if any if any body of water is going to have a physical reaction to incest, it's probably going to be around him. <laughs> so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, with them, the water runs throughout because their story together literally begins in the water they're in a boat um and it's just kind of a running theme with them it's just a constant um so the water's always with them and then when they finally get in it you know that it's significant so knowing that like you just said that does that make you question and sorry this is like specific to you chicky but does it kind of does it make you question whether or not they're gonna have an interlude on the quiet aisle then if you know water is like no this thing, okay. Because to me, it means <laughs> it, to me, it makes me more certain than ever that they're going to have something happen at the Quiet Isle because of because of that. Oh, I mean, I'm down for it if it happens. Yeah, I just no, kind of doubt it. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> one of the other things I want to talk about, though, is because we, we kind of were talking about the dreams. If we could just go back to that a bit um another part of the dream of course is the flaming sword imagery um and we had from the subreddit buck o'hare i say oh god all of it in particular though this connection between the king's guard and the others as characters in all white unable to re- uh, reproduce apart from stealing babies from others and how jamie seeks life and light resisting the emotionless approach the king's guard are supposed to take um, more importantly, magic swords too, uh, especially if how you covered Brienne's thoughts on Oathkeeper and ju- the just made. Um, so, in the you know the universe of A Song of Ice and Fire, um, the flaming sword is you know the mythical element to the Azor Ahai um, prophecies or mythology. Um, I don't know, like in history, flaming swords, you see it a lot um, of symbolism in regards to the, uh, is it Adam and Eve? Oh, with the Garden of Eden. Mm, yeah, Garden yeah. of Eden being cast out of the Garden of Eden. Yeah, with an angel who has a flaming sword. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think there's definitely an in-universe symbolism to the fact that Jamie dreams of the, the flaming swords because... As far as we know, other than the fact that he knows Thoros of Mirror likes to light his own sword up, like Jamie has no idea about the Azor High myth. He never thinks about it. So the fact that he dreams about it, I think, is pretty significant is and symbolic specific? of something. I mean, do you think it's specific to that myth, or is it, you know, if you think of a flaming sword as like a symbol of of purification in a way, and like with Jamie specifically, you know, that part of there's there's just a certain part I think of his chapters and of his arc that are like I guess it goes along with the whole the whole idea of rebirth and like you know cleansing him from his past sins in a way. So I wonder how specific I mean, I, it is to Azor High. 
mean, there could be. I don't know why he would do it, though. I mean, like, considering how significant it is in the series, you take yeah, a prophetic like, dream. Two, and you, yeah. And this is a prophetic dream, and you throw <laughs> flaming swords into it. Yeah. Why would you? Know, you? Blood, Raven, but, Blood Raven was just, like, <laughs> he's sticking the whole kitchen Blood Raven was there. bored, filling in <laughs> some details. Throwing everything <laughs> at it. <laughs> I mean, he pretty much does. <laughs> so there was, like, another, like element of this and it's the fact that we have like the significance of um Oathkeeper being split with Widow's Whale um from ice. I mean it's like is it just the irony of ultimately what Oathkeeper and Brian's mission is I mean I mean I think, you know, at least in our fandom we all assume that Jamie and Brienne are going to use those swords to protect the Starks in some way, or protect Winterfell, or protect people. Um, or even, and, you know, destroy it. Those swords are the result of, of you know, ice being destroyed, and, you know, are they in turn also the swords that will destroy, you know, ice, if you think of ice as being the White Walkers? Oh. Mm, I like that. And I had like another question too about um, Oathkeeper and Widow's Whale. And is it somehow because it's the Targ colors? Is there a connection to Brienne's Targ heritage? I feel like this is a stretch. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was you know I guess that was my that was my comment in in there. Um, is it is it about like her her possible Targaryen connections or is it um, you know, does it have to do with John ultimately? But it just seemed, you know, it seemed odd to me that it seemed like there had to be a reason that their swords were red and that their swords were red and black. And like, you know, Tobomot talking about how he couldn't even, um, how he couldn't change the colors. And, you know, the red was, you know, the red was what was like, I don't, I mean, I guess like he was trying to change him red and this is like, mm. or is it just like well, he, was he was trying, trying to, to make him it red? red. He was trying to make it Lannister red. Yeah, and like the Stark blood was too much for it, and like Mm. he couldn't de-Starkify it completely. But (laughs) again, it it's still Targish, and you know, doesn't mean anything. Mm. It's kind of like maybe it's like a chicken and the egg thing. Like uh, the uh, sorry, the Targaryen colors being red and black could be just taken from old Valeria and the Valerian steel, and I don't know. No, maybe Tobo Mott's mean, just not good at his job. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what happened. He's trying his best. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was under a lot of pressure at this point. He would have lost Gendry, who we assume is probably like his best apprentice because he made that like kick-ass bull helmet. So, yeah, I mean, he was short-staffed. <laughs> I I personally think just the the reason that it wouldn't mix is to symbolize that the Starks are strong and that you can't eliminate them mm-hmm. um, is my guess of, of what George was doing there, which is not to say that the fact that the swords end up being red and black won't have some other significance later on. I mean, you know, we kind of assume we know what's going to happen with the swords, but we really don't know who's going to end up with those swords in the end. So who knows? How mad will you be if it's reforged for ice? Like it would make oh. me so mad. And what happened? <laughs> uh, so I actually the point. Yeah, I mean, like I, I don't, I wouldn't care that much, honestly. 
I don't know. No, Brienne needs Oathkeeper. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> she only has to use it three times. <laughs> That's true. She can only use it three times. That's right. I don't know. There's also this bit, too, about um, having here the the fact of Jamie giving her the sword having some significance. And um, somebody had cited Viking sword exchange during a wedding ceremony. I mean, we all kind of joke within fandom that it absolutely was like a wedding ring, basically. <laughs> the equivalent of getting that sword. Well, and I don't think we can ever discount the fact that there's a lot of phallic symbolism with a yes. sword. <laughs> huh. he gives no. it to her. I don't know a whole um, lot about these Viking wedding ceremonies. Didn't the the woman also get like a, a Norwegian forest cat kitten as well? <laughs> so I Is that the Brianna, like, well, thanks for the sword, but where's my freaking <laughs> I think they exchanged swords. I think they they each they each gave each other a sword. Okay. Hmm. Which I mean, then like their wedding ceremony was basically their sword fight in the woods. Then like they <laughs> given each other the sword. Awesome. <laughs> Is that kind of like the big? the big elements of symbolism between the two, but then like there's some other things that I kind of found interesting as I was like preparing for this episode. And one was around sapphires, like of all the things to pick why sapphires. So um, one of the things I learned was that in the ancient and medieval world, sapphires um, were uh, the height of celestial hope and faith. And it was believed to bring protection, good fortune and spiritual insight. It was also the symbol of power and strength but also kindness and wise judgment. Um, it was believed to be a protective gem. And during the Middle Ages, clergy wore blue sapphires to symbolize heaven. And ordinary folks thought the gem attracted heavenly blessings. In other times and places, people believed that the sapphire was um, guarded chastity, made peace between enemies, uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Those were the two that really got me. Wow. So like, I mean, basically, yeah, there's Guard chastity based on that peace well, between right. enemies. I mean, <laughs> right. And like just the description of the symbolism of it was basically like describing Brienne. So, I mean, I would bet anything that that was all very purposely done. Don't you think? I feel like it. Like a lot of times I feel like we're really reaching when we're trying to no, connect I symbols. That one's a... But this one seems pretty on the nose. <laughs> That's a big yeah. one. I mean, her, one of her, the nickname is Brienne the Blue. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, Blue is such a, like, it's it's got so much religious and, like, spiritual I mean, and all kinds of symbolism. We even have Jamie literally, you know, what is this woman to you, my protector? I mean, mm. we, we even get that literal, and then obviously, like, her, you know, her quest for the Stark girls and her, how she feels about them. But yeah, I mean, everything you said there was basically Brienne. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I she's... think, I think George might've been flipping through uh, some, <laughs> I don't know what you would have looked at in his era, but <laughs> I don't think Wikipedia was a thing. <laughs> yeah. A library. Yeah, encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, his family got to that, the, the uh, volume, <laughs> the S volume. <laughs> I was like that Friends episode where Joey just had the volume V. That's all he could afford. Sorry. 
<laughs> we would just get tight. Like, did you? I think we've talked about this before about how in like the eighties and nineties you would buy encyclopedias by the letter in the like the grocery store. <laughs> it sounds really familiar. I do think yeah. this had come up some point. Yeah, and like we you, did because so that was one of the episodes. Yeah, so you just you didn't have. So I guess the point of it is just you didn't necessarily have every letter. So it is sort of somewhat realistic that you could, you know, base some of your stuff on whatever letter you had. So <laughs> George obviously had the S's, or the library did. One thing that, too, I, like, really looked into is because I've always been kind of curious because I always thought um, Brienne using Dunk Shield and the the symbology on Dunk Shield seemed really kind of striking, strikingly different than what you normally see people painting. And, um, like, it's an elm tree and an elm. Uh, The mythology is uh, it's bound to death and the transition into warfare. Um, Elm's connection with death does not end there. It's a wood that is traditionally used to make coffins, and wood's durability underground may also play a part in this choice. Um, People who knew Elm's uh, well were reminded of their own mortality when remembering the Elm's reputation for dropping large boughs without warning on otherwise still warm days. I don't like all that. Wow. No. (laughs) scary. Now I'm walking underneath an elm. (laughs) Like, it's interesting that even thinking to dunk, it doesn't really, you know, doesn't necessarily suit dunk really either. I mean, obviously we know dunk dies, but I mean, he's in his, he's probably like in his sixties when it happens. It's not, you know, I just don't think of like death. death. Yeah. But I just don't think of death as being like a big, like, part of his story, I guess. That yeah. sounds weird. Yeah, a lot of death around him, but not him, yeah. I guess. Like, because I mean, yeah, like, cause... I always think of uh, what's his name? The yeah, king which one should, is The it? guy that should have been king. That target was it? Yeah. What's it? What was his... Breakspear. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's the one who gives him the prophecy, right? Yeah. Who gives him the... Yes. In the what is it? Death is all around you. What is it that he says to him? Hmm. I can't remember. In the, is it? In no, the Damon gives him the the prophecy. The drunk one oh, does, The right? drunk one, yeah. Egg's brother. Yeah, Egg's brother. I can't remember what he says, but yeah, like that. Death is all around you. In the beginning, too, of Dunk's story, isn't he, doesn't he have to bury that knight? Yeah, no, mom? that's actually a really good point. You're totally right. Yeah, he, that's like the first thing is he buries uh, Sir... Sorry, uh, uh, nope, not Eustace. Something Arlen. on the Sir Arlen. Sir Arlen, yeah. The old man. Yeah. So, no, yeah. that's totally, yeah. And with Brienne, I mean, I guess we see, you know, she is there for Renly's death. And, um, you know, obviously she'll, she has this confrontation with Lady Stoneheart, which you know, there's like literal rotting of death around her. Could he use an elm tree coffin then, people? Um, <laughs> this is what happens when you don't bury your dead. Um, well, and the hanging in the trees. Yeah. The other part, too, with the the painting on the shield is it's like, a, I think, a sunset sky, and then there's the falling star. And I think after reading all the elm tree symbology, I think the first thing I read for falling star was generally a good omen. And I just stopped there. <laughs> It's like good enough. <laughs> good idea. <laughs> and 
And I think, well, um, that's all I could really draw on from symbols, like particularly to do doing with like Brienne, aside from their sigils. So I was looking up the Evan star and like if there was, you know, it could have been drawn from something else. And Evan star is drawn from evening star, which is um, denoted to be the the planet Venus. So I, was, I like that because it's like, oh, yeah, that's the love planet. I dig that. But then also in Lord of the Rings, um, now this is in the film version, they change the jewel that Arwen gives to Aragon um, to the even star, Evan star. Is that, I mean, is there any, because he's taken some token, there's any kind of like nod to that, or is that just, is that at all in the book? Because I, it's, I don't have the Lord of the Rings. that. Okay. But I don't really know. We, you know, the, I think people don't realize, like, we didn't even know that this, um, even star title was uh, something that was passed down until we got the world of ice and fire. Okay. Because oh. that isn't clear just from the uh. the main book series. Like it, it seems like maybe that's just a title that Selwyn had. You know, everybody oh, gets like nicknames the, in like the Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah, yeah. We weren't even sure that this was uh, like an ongoing thing, and now we know that it is. So I, I don't, I don't know. Who knows? Well, we, we don't did, know enough yet, I guess. We did get a question from uh, Natasia seventy four on the subreddit. And she asks, do you think the star iconography suggests that Bran- uh, Brienne will play some role in terms of being a guiding light or a light in the darkness? She seems to play that role with Jamie, chasing away all those jaded shadows and reminding him of who he really is. She also seems to draw people to her. Hyle and Pod, as well as Jamie and even the elder brother, seems drawn to her more than her companions. Is she just as oh, absolutely a, star, a guiding mm-hmm. True yeah, I know. I think the star symbology around Brienne is pretty strong throughout the books. Um, it's it's kind of quietly there. I mean, we always know what her sigil is, um, and the fact that you know she's from Evenfall and and all that. And then when you get in her head, you find out all this you know stuff with Tarth with Evenfall and more. And like, there's very much a like night and day, and then the the star symbolism. And then when you go and have her get Dunk's arms, and there's a shooting star on it it's pretty obvious that well and then you give her a flaming a potential flaming sword and you put her you know you you add her to a battle you know a a battle in the long night potentially and um you know she seems like destined for for hero for um hero she is a hero she is in many ways the hero of these books you know In every sense um, of the, the, what you're normally looking for. Yeah. That's Brienne. Do you guys think when you think, you know, thinking, take, pretend the show didn't happen and just think about, you know, like this, some, you know, final big battle between, you know, our various heroes and, and the, um, and the others. And, you know, does it seem I just was thinking about this. I'm like, well, you know, we have all this idea of Danny being, you know, Danny and her dragons playing this huge role. And, you know, John is obviously set up to play a huge role. And, you know, looking at all the symbolism, it really seems like Brienne is really set up. And, you know, do you think it's like a case of they kind of fall one by one, even, you know, like if Danny's got her dragons and they're wrecking shit, you know, is there a spot for Brienne to be a hero, or does Danny essentially have to die? And you know, John has to, you know, 
or it's like sequential and you know Brienne is the final or John or someone is like the final one like that uh, well there's all of the lore about the last hero and like mm-hmm. that's always been my biggest fear is that Brienne was secretly the last hero mm-hmm. but um I think it's probably John um I think the thing what you're talking about there is like the show has kind of set us up to think of yes one final last group battle Whereas in the books, I don't, you know, I think there will be something big at Winterfell. I, I kind of, though, see this as a, a broader um, war and mm-hmm. there will be many fronts and there would be reason to have several different people who had like some sort of magical tool mm-hmm. to help fight the others would be my guess. So, you know, you may not have Danny and John and Brienne all in the same place ever even. Mm hmm. See, um, so Natasha also write, uh, wrote, do you think the ancient archetype of a goddess of both war and of fertility has in some way influenced Brienne's character? Her arc does seem to be about trying to reconcile the dual aspects of personality, the knight who fights and indeed kills when necessary, but who's also caring in maternal and nurtures life and children, pod, the orphans. Does it reflect a role for her as a protector? By the way, I love the podcast. This one, Radio Westeros and Nauticast, are really biting into my free time. I am not sure what I did before I found found them. So that was nice. <laughs> Thank you for the mail. <laughs> so Brienne is a goddess of war and fertility. Uh, <laughs> it's just weird because, like, all I can think, and maybe like, there's different traditions of you know, someone has more insight into other. Um, you know, gods and goddesses, but I just think of the Greek goddesses and how, like, there's, you know, the the family goddesses and then, you know, like, there's, like, the Athena and the Artemis that are, you know, more martial goddesses but are also, like, called out for being virgins. Um, mm. So, mm. Brienne seems to fit that more than a someone fertility. like a Demeter, you know, yeah. Demeter or Hera or, or something like that. Like, yeah, so at least like, in that Hera system, really yeah. That duality doesn't, and you know, like Aphrodite, like that duality doesn't fit in the Greek goddesses that much, but that's just the Greek goddesses. I don't know about, you know, some of, some of the other gods and goddesses out there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know enough either. So. <laughs> that's all we got for you on that one, Natasha. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it is kind of funny, you know, because Athena's, the goddess of war but she's also the goddess of wisdom and she's also a virgin and you know some of that fits brienne you know seems to fit someone like brienne quite well Mm -hmm. um other than you know we all certainly hope she is no longer a virgin in the the very (laughs) near term but um and i mean wisdom isn't you know brienne's not dumb but i would never think of her as someone who's necessarily you know no yeah, wise. she's young. Like she's yeah. too, yeah. I think she's, she's kind 19. Of, I don't, well, I don't know. She's Maybe not wise, dumb, isn't, but, wise yeah. isn't the right word, but she just has a good, like, moral, internal something that just seems to point her in what's right. Yeah. You know? Like, like, a, like she was a star, a guiding star. <laughs> yeah. So that's like 
pretty much it for the topics I had outlined to discuss. Is there anything that jumped out at you guys that you feel we could expand upon? I just realized we never talked about lions or anything with Jamie, but I think that's all pretty straightforward. Yeah, I thought that too. And I had that down as like, well, we've talked about Brienne's sigil and now we like, I mean, Lannister's, it's a lion. It's literally a beast. It's a literal lion. (laughs) There's... There's all of those, you know, there's like those fairy tales and those stories with, you know, the lion with the thorn in its paw. And it's, you know, like, I mean, that's literally, again, you know, literally, again, Jamie with, you know, his hand cut off. And, you know, part of that's like the lion not being tamed, if you will, but, you know, the lion kind of um, being treated gently. Yeah. 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 Transforming his personality. Yeah. Right, and then in turn, you know, treating the the mouse is it that takes the thorn out? Yep. Yeah. Um, kind of and then got turned into yeah. a jacket. <laughs> a dress, thank you. Yeah, a dress. Um, really? I don't think I ever heard that part of the story. What? <laughs> he gets killed? No, no. I'm just. I was just thinking of the Daenerys Daenerys oh, the mouse. gift of a, a thousand mice dress that she gets. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's literally the you know he's literally that lion with a thorn in its paw. That's a good one, though. Like I, yeah, that totally slipped my mind. That seems like a pretty obvious uh, correlation to that story. And even just with him, you know, even with just with him losing his hand, there's a lot of, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, it's almost like past symbolism in a way though like he literally he doesn't symbolically lose his hand he literally loses his hand (laughs) and and he tells you exactly what it means yes right out in the open generally general this is the hand that i committed all my crimes with (laughs) it's so funny because jamie i mean Jamie is like the person who actually does comment on all of like the symbolism around, you know, he would literally like just say it like around, you know, comment on the symbolism around him and, you know, make it, make it all literal. Like Jamie's, I'm trying to think of if I believe this or not, but I feel like maybe he's like, and it just an incredibly literal person all around. Um, He's just, he's kind of an, I was going to say he'd be a really good literary, like, major. <laughs> well, he's such, he's kind of an open book in a way when you're in his head, just in that he he doesn't hide anything. He hides very little from himself, and it's... No. Only one major thing. But, I mean, I don't even know if he's hiding that from himself, is he? I just, Maybe he's not there yet, if you're, if you're thinking of, like, his feelings for Brienne. Oh, no, he's there. He just can't think it. Yeah, won't allow himself to go there. And, and I mean, all, and all his ties to his family yeah. and Cersei are like the phantom hand that he keeps thinking about, you know, yeah. bugging him. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this. It's a very special Patreon episode. Um, thank you, Sadie, for supporting the podcast and making this request of us. It was actually, I think, super fun and kind of a nice very change fun. of pace. <laughs> really do wish Brienne would have gotten a wedding kitten, though. <laughs> she got a pony, and like I think that's I a, a step yeah. up. I Unless mean. Pod's like the kitten in this scenario. <laughs> Although, Jamie did. That's true in the books, though. Jamie doesn't give her Pod, so never show. mind. 
I'm sorry. I really hate when I, I, know, I right? add show cannon. I do that all the, the time. Uh, need a baptism. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a symbolic removal of the show. <laughs> I'll wash your back, Guile. <laughs> you sound just like Jamie. I know, right? <laughs> all right. Thank you, everybody, for podcasting. Um, if you want to send us mail, you can at close the door and at gmail.com. You can reach us at close the door and come here at tumblr.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Please consider, you know, doing what Sadie did and throwing us a little money at this episode. We too can be your podcast whores and we will fulfill whatever podcast requests we can. Um, you can do that at um, patreon.com backslash close the door. Um, we work hard for the money in our head. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some, sometimes I'm tempted just to come up with something really wild. And like, <laughs> <laughs> please, please don't like, please do it. Don't, don't let your tempt like give into your temptation. Just, like make a, like a secret account. And yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, you're okay. That. <laughs> anyway um so uh subscribe review and recommend this podcast please wherever you may listen and on that i'm going to close the door get out